you're new here, you may be wondering who we are, what we are about. Fam Church, we are here to connect people with Christ. Our hope, our passion, and our goal is that this community, that this county, that this part of Central Florida will know who Jesus is because Fam Church is here and is out there telling people about who he is. And if you're here for the first time this morning, we hope your experience has been amazing. Um, if you're in church for the first time or the first time in a long time or the first time ever, and you're saying to yourself, what on earth am I even doing here? I want to let you know that you're in the right place, and uh, we're glad that you're here. God's got something for you today. All right, so on to our message this morning, and we're going to start off with, uh, with this question. How many mothers in the room remember the birth or births of their children? Right, that's a stupid question, right? Because every mom remembers that event in their life. It's, it's life-changing. It's memorable. It's, it transforms the way you live. And I remember, of course, the birth of all three of my kids. But, of course, the first one is a little bit different because it's your first kid, right? And so it's kind of extra special. And so we were sitting there. We were, in, uh, we were in Boston, and Dana was in Brigham and Women's Hospital. And we'd been there for a long time, and it was a Sunday, and it was November. And what I do on Sundays in November is I watch football, okay? So, so Dana's in this bed, writhing in pain, and I've got the San Francisco 49ers versus Green Bay Packers game on the television set, okay? And uh, I was rooting for the 49ers, because if you know me, I just, I would like to see Green Bay Packers just eliminated from the planet, all right? That's how I feel about the Packers, yeah. Um, but anyways... I was distracted as she sat there in pain on the bed. Well, pretty soon the game ended and things started to change in the room. Suddenly, she was ready to give birth. Suddenly, there was midwives out there yelling at me, make her push harder, make her push harder. And I'm like, how do I make her push harder? And, you know, we're having all these intense conversations, and there's, there's all this other craziness going on. You've got blood, and you've got liquid, and you've got all sorts of other crazy things. And then to top it off, you've got this alien-like creature coming out of your wife. Okay? It was a mind-blowing different experience, and little did I know when I started this that that's what that day was going to be like. Little did I know that life as I knew it was going to change radically after that moment. And you may be wondering, why are you telling us all of this? Well, the reason is because today is Pentecost Sunday, and it marks the birth of the church. So for good or for bad, for, for uh, problems and difficulties, positives and negative, the church began about 2,000 years ago today. And that's what we are going to look at this morning um, in, in our message. We are going to look at the birth, the beginning of the church. And the, the story is found in the book of Acts chapter 2. And so if you're familiar with where the book of Acts is at, you're welcome to turn there. It's the fifth book of the New Testament. And uh, if you don't have it, you don't know where it's at, it's going to be on the screen behind me for you to follow along. But this was a life-changing, life altering, radically crazy day in the life of the church when the church was born. And this is what it says. I'm going to be reading Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And it says this. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, 
They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretan and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. All right, we're not going to read the rest of the chapter, but I would encourage you to do that uh, as you, when you go home this afternoon or maybe in your devotion this week. But, uh, but after these men are accused, these men and women who are in this building, this room in Acts chapter 2, after this whole thing happens that we just read, we saw that everybody, people accused them of being drunk. And Peter gets up after this and he says, well, wait, no, these men aren't drunk as you suppose. They haven't had any alcohol. What's actually going on here is something that was talked about in the book of Joel uh, a few hundred years ago. Joel said that there was going to come a time when God was going to pour out his spirit on all men and all, all women, that young men would dream dreams and old men will prophesy. And, and, and on his spirit, he was going to pour it out upon everyone regardless of who you are, your background." your situation in life. And as I said, Peter had quoted this uh, from, from a book of Joel in the Old Testament, but there was a prophecy, and it's actually more of a wish made by Moses that wanted, that longed for the day, this day to come, centuries before Joel ever prophesied about it coming. In Numbers 11, we find an interesting story of a guy named, guys named Eldad and Medad. Who are they? They were elders of the nation of Israel, which is a fancy way to say they were government officials. And why is this so important? Well, what happened uh, in Numbers chapter 11 is that uh, Eldad and Medad were, were seen by a guy named Joshua, who was the second in command of the nation of Israel, they were seen running through the camp prophesying. And so this bothered Joshua because he thought it usurped the leadership and authority that Moses had over the people, that Moses should be the only one prophesying. And so Joshua went to Moses and said, look, Moses, what should we do about this? Should we do something about this situation? And Moses looked at Joshua and says, no, Joshua, we're not going to do anything about this situation. As a matter of fact, I wish that all God's people could prophesy. I wish all God's people had the Holy Spirit on them. Well, here in this case, it's happened, okay? Moses' wish becomes prophecy fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. And when God unleashes his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, things get radically different than they were. See, now all of a sudden, all of the Lord's people could receive the same power, the same Holy Spirit that the elders of Israel received. But it was more than just the Spirit coming and giving everyone a tingly feeling in their body so that they could feel good about being in the presence of God. 
See, in the process of fulfilling this prophecy, there were many barriers that were broken down in the kingdom of God. Because see, before in the kingdom of God, in order to be a prophet, you had to be a Jew, you had to be a man, and you had to have certain learning, understanding, and study of the Old Testament. Well, now here is the Holy Spirit suddenly coming on the church, and it came upon women, and it came upon men, it came upon Jews, it came upon Gentiles, it came upon those who knew the Bible and those who had no idea what the Old Testament was. Suddenly, Everything in a moment and an instant changed. Life was radically changed. Suddenly anyone could speak God's word with the authority and the anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is no respecter of persons. And all of those barriers, when, this Holy, when the Holy Spirit came in the book of Acts here, broke down all of those barriers that stood in the way and made everybody, schooled and unschooled, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, anointed and empowered into God's dynamic mission of declaring the wonders of God to all people. See, this was a radical change, and now Jesus was going to use this new organization, his church, and the believers that make up the church that are now empowered with the Holy Spirit to change the world. See, the power was go- to change the world was no longer going to be in the hands of a few men that served in the temple and were born as priests. Now, the power of God was in the hands of whoever wanted God. And what's even more powerful about this day of Pentecost is that it's not designed as just a one-time deal, as just a one-time day, as just a one-time event. Yes, it was the birth of the church, but this baptism in the Holy Spirit that happens there has now become a source of power and a source of authority for every believer who has walked on this earth from the day of Pentecost until today. And I know that this is a subject that weirds people out, that causes people concern, This baptism in the Holy Spirit, they hear about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and so their thoughts instantly go to to people swinging from chandeliers in the building. Ours are kind of high, so you could try to swing from them, but you, I don't know. I mean, you could try. Uh, But anyways, you know, people yelling and screaming, maybe somebody going out behind the stage and getting out the snakes and bringing out the snakes and handling the snakes. And so so all of this stuff just kind of, all these thoughts rush through our minds. And so this whole idea of the Holy Spirit kind of weirds us out. And so I want to look further at this. And so the place I want to start off with is this. Every person who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior has the Holy Spirit residing in him or her. All right? It doesn't matter if you're Baptist. It doesn't matter Catholic, Lutheran, Seventh-day Adventist, United Methodist, Independent, Fundamentalist, Non-Denominational Bible Church. If you've given lordship of your life over to Jesus, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you may be saying and wondering why, well, if you already have the Holy Spirit when you become a follower of Christ, why is there a need for the baptism in the Holy Spirit? The reason is because there's a difference in the purpose of the two. See, the Holy Spirit that we receive when we become a follower of Jesus, when we give lordship of our life over to him, is is that the Holy Spirit comes to be our comfort. He comes to be our guide. He comes to be our help as we walk with Jesus. Like in John 14, for example, it says that the Holy Spirit will comfort us when we're hurting. 
Jesus also says the Spirit will help us recall things that we've learned about God uh, in John 14, 26. If we move over to John 16, Jesus refers to the Spirit as a counselor who will guide us in our daily lives. One way he guides us is convicting us of sin in John 16, 8. And this is really a good thing because God wants us to get rid of all of those things, those weights, those sins that, ta- that weigh us down, that entangle our lives and mess us up. And the only way we can identify those things sometimes is through the Holy Spirit speaking in our lives. And the, the Spirit works through our conscience to make us aware of sin. Uh, he doesn't just make us aware of sin. Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit helps us to stop sinning and to do things that please God. A verse later in that chapter, he tells us that the Spirit helps us to pray. I mean, we've all gone to God with a prayer request or something so burdening and heavying our heart that when we've stepped up before God, we've had to say, God, I don't even know what to pray. And in that instance, in that circumstance, in that situation, the Holy Spirit comes and says the prayers for us. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are also available to us when the Holy Spirit fills us after we give lordship of our lives to Jesus. And there's multiple lists of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and uh, so we're not going to run through all of those this morning, but if you're interested, uh, there's one in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's another one in Romans 12, 6 through 8, Ephesians 4, 11. And uh, besides the gifts, there's also the fruits of the Spirit that come when the Holy Spirit fills us, when we believe when we follow, when we give lordship of our lives over to Jesus, we get uh, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so all of those things are given to us. All of those things are operational in our lives when we give our lives to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes and fills us. And so you may say to yourself, well, that sounds like that covers everything that we need. And so what is the purpose of this baptism in the Holy Spirit like we read about in Acts? This baptism is for one reason and one reason only. The baptism is to empower us to be a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you look at the book of Acts, throughout the book, you continually see this as how the baptism of the Holy Spirit is used. You, you've got Acts chapter 2 that we, just, that we read here at the beginning of this message. And what happens in there? The believers, are, they're gathered in this upper room. They're terrified. They're scared. Why are they scared? Because Jesus is now dead. He's, he's gone. I mean, he's, he's risen from the dead. He's gone into heaven. And so here, he is, here they are sitting in this upper room. They know the authorities are after them. They know that the Jewish Sanhedrin wants to arrest them. And so they're terrified. They don't want to go out on the streets and tell people about Jesus is, uh, uh, who he is, because they know they're going to be arrested. And so suddenly, in an instant, so that they can have the boldness and the power that they need to go out and proclaim the name of Jesus, suddenly the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes them, and they have the power to go out and do what God has called them to do. And in that moment, in that time, 3,000 were added to their number that day. Then we flip over to Acts chapter 4, just two sections later. What's happened here? Well, Peter and John now have been arrested. Two of the leading apostles, they've been arrested and they've been put in jail. And they go and they stand trial and the Sanhedrin has no charges to bring against them. And so so they let them go. 
But the other disciples, the other apostles are there. They're sitting in this room waiting for them to return. Well, John and Peter return and they said, we've been set free, but they're still scared because they're afraid that if the rest of them go out and do this, that one of them is going to get arrested and maybe they won't get so lucky as John and Peter got. And so in Acts chapter 4, it says they, they knelt down and prayed and they said, God, hear their threats that they're making against us. And it says that the room was shaken and that they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and they went out and they spoke the word boldly. Then we turn over to Acts chapter eight and, and the, the, Philip goes to uh, Samaria and he's in Samaria and he tells them about Jesus and they get saved. And, and so Peter and John, they come up from Jerusalem to see what's going on up there and they pray for them, lay hands on them. Suddenly those believers get filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, it says just a few verses after that that they went from town to town in the villages of Samaria telling people about who Jesus was. And I could continue to work my way through the book of Acts and show you that in each and every single situation, in each and every single place, that that, uh, that the Holy Spirit, that they were baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit, that they went out and that they proclaimed the word of God. See, many people mistakenly believe that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is for them, that it's there to help them overcome the struggles, the trials, the temptations that they face in life, but the baptism in the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with the overcoming life. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is for an entirely different purpose. It's for world evangelism, to give us the power that we need to be a witness. And so some of you, I'm sure, are thinking, well, then why should I even seek after it? I mean, who cares? Because I have everything else I need when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, when I become a follower of Christ. Well, the first reason is that it's a gift. It's a gift that God has for each and every single one of us that follow him. It's a gift that he wants to give us. And it's a gift that's good. It's a gift that's pleasing. It's a gift that's cool and awesome and fun. You might not think witnessing to people is fun, but it's awesome. Because we all like gifts. It's something that Jesus wants us to have. It's something that he wants to give to us. And the second reason is that God has called us to be a witness, and we need all the help and the power that we can get in telling people about Jesus. Because here's the deal, I know that I need this power for me to be a witness. I mean, we just had something, I just had something recently happen in my life that directly relates to this. At the beginning of May, we had this lady at our house who was talking to Dana and I, and um, she, she is a lesbian, and uh, we were just sitting there, we were chatting. She was asking me about my life. And so I told her my story. I told her about where I, where I had been at previously in my life and the, all the trouble that I had gotten in up until I was the age of 21. And she looks at me and she says, well, what happened? What's different? I mean, you were in trouble. You got, you got arrested. You got a criminal record. You got all of this stuff from when you are a teenager. And now here you are as a pastor of a church. How do you go from that to that? And in that moment, I froze because I thought to myself, what do I tell her? Because we've got a good relationship going here. And sometimes we think that Jesus, bringing Jesus into relationships messes them up. And I thought for a second, and I just said, God, I need the power to tell her about what you did in me. And so I said to her, I said, 
because I gave my life to Jesus at the age of 21 and he came and he set me free and all of that stuff is gone and, and I'm a completely different person. And, and, and as I, after I shared that story with her, she stopped and she said, maybe God's trying to speak to me. See, that's what the power of the Holy Spirit does when we use that power to be a witness for him and for his kingdom. And it's not only that, not only personally sharing, but even coming up here on a Sunday morning and, and talking about Jesus and sharing the gospel at the end of a message and asking people if they would like to, to, uh, to make Jesus the Lord of their life, there is even power needed in that. Because there's all kinds of forces at war with the listener, and when the gospel is being presented Hell doesn't want that person to give lordship of their life to Jesus. They don't want me to be able to communicate it clearly. And so there is warfare. There is stuff that's going on there. So even standing in here on a Sunday morning, I need that power. And I am thankful that I have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. All right. So if we receive power, when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, what keeps people from doing that. I think there are two things. And the first one is that they're fearful of the whole speaking in tongues deal. Okay, they read that text in Acts chapter 2 and they're like, well, that's kind of cool, but that whole tongues thing is just completely weird. All right, and I know that this area, Central Florida, is a heavily Baptist area, and the Baptists have always been not too big on tongues. And actually, when, uh, last fall, those of you who were here and participated in our church-wide survey, we found out that more people in our church actually have a Baptist background than have an Assembly of God background, which I thought was kind of strange that more people come out of the Baptist churches here than they come out of Assembly of God churches here. But, you know, we, we, we hear about this, and, and we get freaked out, okay? Uh, we don't want to be the weird person, right? We don't want to be uh, the guy or the girl who's, who's being all weird with this tongues thing. But can I tell you, there's nothing weird about tongues. It's a language that God has given you and me to speak to him with. Think about your spouse. Do you and your spouse, if you're married, have like code language that you speak to one another? Yeah, Dana and I, we've got all sorts of language and words that mean one thing when we're saying them to each other but mean completely something different else when everyone else is talking to everyone. You know what I mean? You guys, you know what, I, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, and some of it, it's like I hear other people say it or I have to say it to someone else and I want to start laughing because I'm like, geez, that doesn't sound right because it means something. But you know, the reason that you have that, um, when you have this kind of way to communicate with your spouse that's, uh, that's kind of nobody else can understand, it kind of helps to build that connection between the two of you, right? It's a special thing that you and them have that builds a special connection. Well, that's the deal, okay? When it comes to speaking and praying in tongues, it's all about a special language, a special thing that God has given us to speak to him to build a special connection between us and him in our lives. And although it may feel weird or strange, there's power in it. I know some people will say, what if I'm just 
giving gibberish, you know, something my brain's just making up as I sit there. Well, listen to this. This is really interesting. Neuroscientists have done studies on people who speak and pray in tongues, and they have found that it is not something that the brain is making up as we go. Researchers at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine have discovered decreased activity in the frontal lobe, an area of the brain associated with being in control of oneself when someone is speaking in tongues. In other words, brain imaging research shows us that the subjects that they've studied are not in control of the usual language centers of the brain when they pray in tongues, which is consistent with the belief that the Holy Spirit is taking over control of our language and speaking for us when we are speaking in tongues. So the scientist in charge of the study went on to say that these findings could be interpreted as a subject's sense of self-being taken over by something else. So tongues is not crazy. It's, something that we're not, it's not something we're making up on the fly, but it seems to be what the Bible claims it to be, the Holy Spirit in us, giving us a language to communicate with God. But can I also tell you it's not something that God is going to force on any of us or make us use in ways that make us uncomfortable. You know, I know people have this fear that uh, they'll, they'll be get the, I'll get the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then I'll be shopping in Walmart and then suddenly God's just going to make me yell out in the tongue in the middle of the, the produce section and it's going to be so embarrassing or you'll be speaking with your neighbor and all of a sudden you'll just speak in a tongue and she'll call the HOA and the HOA will tell you, you need to move out of the neighborhood because you're too weird to be here. That's not how it works, okay? God doesn't force us to do anything. In all of us, all of it, he gives us the option. I mean, if he was going to force us to stop doing something, it would be sin, and he doesn't even force us to stop sinning. And so he's not going to force us to use tongues in any ways that we don't like or we're not comfortable with. You're not going to lose control and just do all sorts of weird stuff if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Mano, if you could come back up. The second thing that keeps people, I think, from the baptism in the Holy Spirit is that many people pursue it for the wrong reasons. See, some people think that being baptized in the Holy Spirit is a mark of spiritual achievement that somehow shows they are doing it right. They are living the life the way that Jesus wants you to. See, Jesus doesn't give the baptism in the Holy Spirit as a reward for our personal holiness and personal walk with him. It's a gift from God that cannot be manipulated, that cannot be controlled by what we do, by what we say, or by how we act. Still others want the baptism in the Holy Spirit because they think it's a door to God's power. Man, if I just get that, then suddenly I'm going to be able to you know, pray for a handkerchief and throw it on people and they're going to get healed and I'll be able to walk through the crowd and just touch people and all sorts of stuff is going to be able to happen. Others think that if they can just mark that off of their spiritual checklist, okay, I did that, I got that, on to the next thing that God has for me. And then others seek it because they want to speak in tongues. See, all of those reasons for pursuing the Holy Spirit are wrong. And if those are the reasons that you've been pursuing the baptism in the Holy Spirit, your pursuits are misguided. See, the only reason that God is going to baptize someone in the Holy Spirit is if they are seeking and wanting 
that power to be used for witness. So in closing this morning, there are three things that I want to offer as a challenge. And the first thing has to do with the basic requirements that it takes to even get baptized in the Holy Spirit. The first thing that we have to have is we have to have our life given over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We can't get that if we're not, uh, if, we, if we haven't made Jesus our Lord and our Savior in our life. And if you are far from Jesus, he wants you to know that you are loved by him. But see, all humans have this issue of sin. And it's caused us to be separated from God. But Jesus and God, in an effort to restore that relationship, sent his son, as we talked about in the communion, sent his son to die so that we could have life, so that we could have a restored relationship with him, so that we could set Jesus as Lord of our lives and put down all of the things that our God in, that, in God's place. To receive that, all we have to do is make Jesus the Lord of our life. We need to turn who we are and all that we hope to be over to him. And when we do that, Jesus forgives our sins, our relationship is restored, and we are a follower of his.